Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. How about them Cowboys? We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Hope everybody is ready for a good long weekend. How do you feel about, uh, do you prefer Christmas Eve and Christmas to fall midweek? Or do you like pure weekend? Or like this week, we've got Christmas Eve on a Sunday, Christmas on a Monday. Where do you kind of, what, what fits best in your schedule for the Christmas holiday to fall? Oh, it doesn't matter much to me. I, I prefer it being during the week because you still get weekend days off of work. So I kind of like to roll it in together. It actually kind of worked out perfect for me. Uh, Friday, this tomorrow is a holiday for Christmas Eve. And then Monday is a holiday for Christmas. And we also get New Year's Day off. So I, I basically take four days after Christmas uh, vacation. So I'll basically be off the 22nd through the first with only taking, you know, four days. So I, I kind of wish it was like this every year. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Um, my favorite setup is whenever Christmas day is on a Friday, because then you, I mean, you're off Christmas Eve, you're off Christmas day. And then without taking any more days, you still get the 26th and the 27th to kind of decompress from Christmas before you go back to work. Um, and our, our daughter is now, she'll be two in April. So we're getting, some things that have to be put together. Our, our in-laws were down. We did Christmas with them this last weekend. I had this table and chairs that had 200 little pieces to put together. I feel like that Friday Christmas day gives the parents of the young children those extra two days to put everything together, to get the house rearranged with all the new toys, get all the new clothes in the closet, and you have those extra two days. So I'm saying Friday Christmas day is the best. Uh, Monday's not terrible, though. That's a good one. Um, for me, the day after Christmas is right on par with most depressing days on the calendar along with, you know, the last college football game that's played because it's such a long wait for college football season. And I don't know, I just, the start of the new year, you go back to work. There's not much to look forward to until really, you know, maybe spring break, summertime. So it's, I'm already kind of feeling like, oh man, Christmas is already going to come and go. So I'm, I love Christmas and I, I hate when it ends. Yeah, I get that. Sounds to me like you need a winter hobby. Might I recommend the mountains? No, no skiing for me. You're right. I do need a winter hobby. Um, I did have a, someone had a good idea of like, uh, I think it was Chris Ryan on the uh, Rewatchables podcast. They were talking about Christmas vacation, how he had this idea of like, you just turn the lights off on your tree after Christmas and you wait till like the first or second weekend of January and just turn them back on and give like a gift to, for each family member just to kind of prolong it a little extra. I kind of like that idea. That's interesting. Um, I don't know that. That does prolong the Christmas holiday quite a bit because to me, like all of December is Christmassy and there's decorations everywhere and everywhere you go, there's music playing. I, I love Christmas, um, but I'm not a full on Will Ferrell in Elf. So I like Christmas, but I like almost everything in life better in moderation. And I, I think I'm very comfortable with the balance that we've struck with Christmas. Does your mom have the orange tree up? Uh, good question. I don't know if it is actually an orange tree. I think it is a white tree that is decked out then in orange and black ribbon, orange ornaments. Um, the worst. No, you, do you have the orange tree then? Wait, no, no, no. You sent me a picture of an orange tree last year. Oh, here's what happened. So my parents moved 
so the tree in the living room, they have two trees now. Tree in the living room is a white tree decked out in orange. And then there is an office that has a window facing the street. And in that window facing the street, I believe, is now where the orange tree lives. And then they have orange and white lights around the yard, a big pistol peat in the yard with an orange light shining on it. Um, so, yes, if you drive through my parents' neighborhood, you will know which house is theirs. Uh, that's good to know the orange tree didn't get lost in the move then. <laughs> What's um, no, your uh, protocol on taking the tree down? How, how long do you wait? Because this, this is a controversial subject. Uh, it sometimes depends on when the calendar falls and what the plans are. So we like to leave it up until New Year's and then take it down after that. This year, New Year's being on a Monday, I don't know if we're going to do it the week be the weekend before, like the 30th or 31st, probably not the 31st because we'll be busy. So we'll probably either take it down on the 30th, which is a Saturday, or we'll probably take it down the following Saturday. Um, but it's right around New Year's, either just before or just after New Year's. You? Yeah, I... I kind of like you, I feel it out, but I don't, I don't like to let it linger too much. I think it's kind of like, um, you, you just gotta get, you gotta get it down. It's, it's a daunting task. And the longer you wait, the less likely you are to take it down. It's kind of where I sit. Well, and, and with our tree now, my wife last year had this idea. She hated putting the tree up and the first day that you put it up, there's nothing under it and it just looks bare. So we just had all these boxes. So she just wrapped like 12 empty boxes. And <laughs> now when she puts the tree up, she just puts these 12 empty boxes under the tree. So it looks decorated with presents before we actually get oh. all in. Um, and it looks really nice. But now again, we have an almost two year old. So I feel like if we leave the tree up and we leave those presents under the tree, she's going to think that she has more things to open. So I feel like after Christmas, we might have to boot the boxes, uh, even if the tree is still up, so that we don't tease the toddler with more gifts potentially coming that never come. Well, I'm glad she just hangs on to those and doesn't waste paper every year. That's that's good thinking. Yeah, and the time that it takes to wrap 12 boxes. <laughs> yeah. So that they'll be decorative under the tree. No, they just, they just go in the attic with all the rest of our Christmas decorations. And then when it's time to decorate the next year, we pull all the boxes down and under the tree they go. Well, if you're listening to this and still need to do some last-minute holiday shopping, Chris's University Spirit is the place to be. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com and get your latest, greatest OSU gifts. And if you have some last-minute needs, Chris's can accommodate you. So we appreciate Chris's sponsoring the podcast. And I did ask for Twitter questions on this episode, Colby, and one of them, which we'll get to, we'll get to all, the rest of them later, but one of them was, did you get, finish your Christmas shopping? Am I finished? think that's not a good sign if you have to think no i'm, I'm thinking like I'm, I'm checking off my list in my head i think i'm i think i'm finished um i might go out and get like one more thing for my wife because all but one of her gifts are off of her amazon list and so she knows all that's coming except for one thing and that one thing is just like a small little thing that doesn't yeah i mean doesn't like mean a ton or anything so i might go out and get my wife one more surprise gift that she doesn't know is coming um but other than that yes i am done are you finished with yours oh yeah i was i was finished last pod so i'm, I'm good man i'm sitting pretty that's right good for you overachiever go get her with the with the christmas buying yeah i'm, I'm not gonna like my credit card bill um next couple weeks but hey it's the holiday season um we did have signing day early signing day for oklahoma state football and i kind of like to call signing day colby groundhog day because you know, once again, Oklahoma State has a great football season this year. They finished second in the Big 12. And in the recruiting rankings, they are sitting in 12th. 
Uh, Texas Tech is number one, which is somewhat surprising, but that's kind of why they hired Joey McGuire. He's a you know former Texas high school coach, has great inroads there, and he obviously crushed it in the recruiting trail. But Colby, I, I call it Groundhog Day. OSU sitting around the 60th mark, which is even lower by OSU standards. I know they, they only signed you know a handful of guys this year. It wasn't a big class. But uh, thoughts on Groundhog Day, a.k.a. signing day for Oklahoma State? Yeah, um, would I sound defeatist if I said that I've just gotten to the point where, as it relates to Oklahoma State football specifically, I just don't care about the recruiting rankings anymore? Does that sound defeatist or does that sound uh, rational as we're nearing the 20th year of Mike Gundy's tenure? I would go with acceptance. And, you know, I used to get way more riled up about this than I do now, so maybe I'm in the acceptance kind of quadrant as well because you know the results under Mike Gundy have, have speak for themselves I mean this is just kind of what we're accustomed to I mean some of these guys that are lower rated are going to end up being you know all big 12 caliber players we see that year after year after year look at Nicholas Martin I mean we weren't you know throwing a parade for OSU signing him and he's you know first team all big 12 very early on in his career so I, I'm with you there I just again I have to say this you see Texas Tech number one why in the world can't Oklahoma State do that? I think this is a primary job requirement from a head coach at a Power 5 program, especially a coach in Mike Gundy that's so established. We know his resume. We know the wins. We know everything he's done at OSU. It's a tried-and-true program with a tried-and-true coach. And I just 12th just isn't good enough. I mean, I, again, I, I'm with you. I, I kind of accept this is how it's going to be, and I, I certainly like the results on the field, but man, you, do, you just got to do better than this. And I think this is kind of the lingering thoughts I had from the, the Big 12 championship against Texas. Let's say, you know, they have another great year next year and, you know, make the 12-team playoff. Well, is it going to look pretty similar to what we saw against Texas where they're just there's a big talent disparity across the board once you get to the the upper echelons of college football? That's, that's my main concern because my concern is not competing in the Big 12. We know Mike Gundy's proven to do that. My concern is how do you – build upon that how do you extrapolate upon that and and really punch above your weight class moving forward and I don't know it's just it's disappointing considering what OSU has built versus where they still kind of remain in the recruiting world yeah I, I agree that it's disappointing and I don't want uh my acceptance to to sit here and sound like I wouldn't love to be sitting where Texas Tech is or UCF TCU that's the top three in the conference Kansas fourth in the conference uh, this year in the recruiting rankings. So I don't want to sound like, uh, you know, I love being at 12th. It'd be great to be one of those top four schools in the conference in recruiting year in and year out. I also look at it, and I think that any school in this conference, if a Big 12 school, and I assume one will, makes it to the playoff next year and has to face an Alabama or a Georgia, a Michigan, Ohio State, uh, Texas, one of those schools, I think that it will take a magic season from any of these big 12 schools at any point to actually beat those teams, compete with those teams consistently. Cause I've said it a million times, college football is not designed for parity. Now I think we're seeing a little bit more parity in the NIL and the portal era because players are moving around so much. It makes it harder for Nick Saban to be four deep with NFL guys, because if they know they're NFL guys and they don't play, they go somewhere else and they play. So I think the talent is getting a little more spread out across college football. So I think we'll see a little bit more parity as this thing evolves. But 
I understand the frustration with the recruiting rankings, and I also look at all 11 programs that are ahead of Oklahoma State in the recruiting rankings this year. And all 11, undoubtedly, would trade their successes over the last 10 to 15 years for Oklahoma State's because Oklahoma State has been a more successful program over the last 10 to 15 years. I look at the 11 schools ahead of Oklahoma State on this list, and I think to myself, okay, over the next five years, are any of those teams going to win more games over the next five years, over the next 60-game sample size? Are any of those 11 schools going to win more games than Oklahoma State? And history would tell us that the answer to that question is no. Um, So I would love for Oklahoma State to be top four on this list. I don't love that they're 12th on this list, but when I go look at the standings from this past season, they're going to be a lot higher. When I go look at the standings from 2021, from a lot of years in the Mike Gundy era, they're going to be higher. So I would love for Oklahoma State to be higher on this list. I would love for more resources to be allocated because I would love to see what Mike Gundy could do if he built a team on three and four stars instead of on two and three stars. But the reality is, I still think Oklahoma State over the next five years, assuming Mike Gundy's there for all of those, is probably going to lead the Big 12 in wins over the next five years. So um, it's kind of the catch-22 that we love the results on the field, and then whenever it comes time for signing day, we all get really disappointed, and then the next season starts, and we're like, whoo, Nicholas Martin's a beast. And then we get to the end of the year, and we're like, oh, my God, Rashad Owens. They have developed him into a monster, and good on him for sticking it out. It, It just kind of is what Oklahoma State football is. Um, and I've gotten to a point where I'm very comfortable and I very much like what Oklahoma State football is. Yeah, and I, I think a good barometer here, you see the the rankings, Kansas State's 10th. And I think we would all agree that, you know, Kansas State's a pretty similar program to Oklahoma State, one of the better programs in the Big 12, and they're 10th. And I think they kind of have a similar recruiting model that Oklahoma State has where they take, you know, more under-heralded type guys that fit their program, fit their style of play. And I think I think that's a, that's – kind of the argument here for Mike Gundy's recruiting track record. Uh, you see Utah, they're seventh. So, you know, Utah's a program that's been, you know, up there in, in the Pac-12. So it's it's not the end-all, be-all. And every class is different. Again, OSU only signed 16 uh, signees. So that that has a bearing on the recruiting rankings as well. Some classes, some years are you know, more than the 25 range, maybe even higher some years. So that matters too. But I did want to hit on – uh, the top five quotes from Mike Gundy on signing day. I kind of get some high level thoughts on the on the class, and I think the kind of the biggest storyline on on signing day was this mystery running back recruit out of South Carolina, Jaden Allen Hendricks. Kind of one of these. This is just such a patented Mike Gundy recruit, kind of a diamond in the rough scenario. They get him in late for a visit. And he ends up committing. I mean, he's very intriguing to me, Colby. He he's. Certainly not as heralded as Ollie Gordon is, but he has very similar measurables. You know, Mike Gundy said he's a potential 245-pound back. He said that he said something similar about Ollie Gordon get to 230. And of course, Ollie's only about 211, 220. But ran for 2,000 yards, 25 touchdowns in South Carolina. I mean, this. I think this is a player, Colby. We're going to look at in a couple of years and go, "Whoa, how did they get this guy out of you know kind of SEC, ACC country?" Because this was a, I think, a really big get. Uh, considering this is probably going to be this is definitely going to be probably Ollie Gordon's last year. Yeah, I would say this is almost certainly Ollie Gordon's last year. You just don't want to take too many hits in college when you're an elite running back. Uh those guys bodies get used up quick. You want to get the league as quick as possible, get a bunch of carries, make your money uh before they use your body up in that league and they will use your body up in that league. So, Jaden Allen Hendricks, he's being listed by Oklahoma State at 6 foot 2, 225 
pounds. For reference, Derrick Henry at the NFL Combine was listed at six foot three, two hundred and forty-seven pounds. So this is a big bruiser of a back. Mike Gundy was asked why he thought more bigger schools weren't in on him. He said probably because of his speed, um, four six five, four seven guy. But spend eighteen months in the weight room with Coach Glass. And hopefully you don't need him this next season. Hopefully it all goes well with Ollie and he doesn't get hurt. Um, and, and you don't need to bring this true freshman in to carry the ball. And you can get him out there as a red shirt freshman after having spent 18 months with Coach Glass. And if you can take a tenth of a second off that 40, if he's running in uh, the four fives as a 230 to 245 pound back, I mean, that's going to be a guy who can be seriously dangerous uh, at Oklahoma State, a school that has consistently, and we talked about this, and it's something I think we underrate from this program, has consistently turned out high-level running backs that make it to the NFL, that stick on rosters. Um, Chuba Hubbard is getting a ton of carries this year. Justice Hill uh, had actually been usurped on the depth chart by a rookie, Keaton Mitchell, who was a really good player. Who I mean, Justice Hill just got beat out because, quite frankly, the rookie was just faster. Like, the dude had speed. The rookie tore his ACL last week. Justice Hill is going to get meaningful carries on a team that could win the Super Bowl down the stretch of this season and into the playoffs. So uh, Oklahoma State has consistently put backs in the NFL, and hopefully this is a kid that puts the work in uh, and come his his red shirt freshman year, he's the guy that Mike Gundy feels comfortable giving 20-plus carries a game to. And to that point, you know, NFL rushing by college football team through 2023, Alabama's won. Oklahoma's two, Georgia's three, and Oklahoma State's four. So wow. to your point, OSU's producing in the NFL at the running back position. So that's 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 huge. And again, I, I think the attrition's already happening at the running back position. You know, Elijah Collins exhausting his eligibility, uh, Jaden Nixon entering the portal. So that's that that to me was kind of the headline as well. But of course, Colby, any recruiting class, the headliner is always gonna be the quarterback. Uh, so they get this kid from California. God, I had his pronunciation guide pulled up here, and I already already lost it. But uh, Mafi was is his name. Uh, or wait, I'm now I'm totally lost on my on my deal here. Line. You're thinking about the offensive lineman. You, uh, I think you've got your tabs crisscrossed or something. Yeah, I do. Uh, let's see here. I'm trying to find the phonetic spelling. Okay, here he is. <laughs> Myla Mylawaki Smith is the quarterback from California uh, was, you know, three-star quarterback, uh, top ranked recruit in Oklahoma state's class. He's the only quarterback in the class joining the room of Garrett Rangel, Zane Flores, and maybe Alan Bowman. But you know, the signal caller Colby is always going to be the headliner of any class. And I, I don't know if you watch this dude's tape. Uh, he's one of the more intriguing quarterback prospects. I think they've signed in quite some time. I know everyone was high on, on Flores. I, I liked Flores or Flores, however you say it. I think it's Flores is how he pronounces it. But he didn't quite jump off the screen like this kid. He's got great measurables, great stats, and obviously uh, California, he went to the same high school as as Tom Brady uh, and broke some of his records. So uh, that's pretty pretty amazing. He broke uh, – in 2022, he passed for 2,700 yards, 34 touchdowns, both single-season school records blowing out the 2020 touchdown 2000 yards 20 touchdowns from Tom Brady. So famous school, uh you kind of signed late, I think 230s when his NIL there's some kind of guessing games going on there, but he sticks with Oklahoma State and it appears they have a a signal caller for the future and who knows. I mean, Mike Gunny's not prone to play freshman quarterbacks, but he'll be in the room and he'll give it his best shot. 
Yeah, this is a situation with Oklahoma State's quarterback room. Uh, Alan Bowman has applied for the additional year of eligibility. I know I've gone on record uh, as saying that I would like the predictability and consistency of just allowing this offense to run it back another year with a guy who just did it with this group of guys. Um, That being said, if it goes another direction, I I think this is just my personal opinion outside looking in. I think Rangel is kind of getting squeezed a bit. Uh, by the younger kids coming in. You know, Bowman comes in as the transfer over the top of him, and now you've got the young kids coming in underneath him, and I think Rangel is getting squeezed out a little bit. My question in the quarterback room for Oklahoma State is how long do how many of these guys stick around? Because that is the question in modern college football. Quarterbacks especially, they want to go play. Quarterbacks that that were highly recruited, who feel like they can play, they want to go play. So, um, is Zane Flores Flores, is, is, is he the next guy? Is Maya Luaki Smith the next guy? It, it's a question to me of how many guys they can keep in this room until one of these young guys are ready to take over because not too many of them are ready to take over day one. So can you keep them in the room for two, three years and get enough of a sample size and let them build their bodies up and learn the system enough to where you feel confident that one of these guys can lead you to a Big 12 championship and the college football playoff? Uh, I think that is the challenge for Mike Gundy and his staff, especially if Bowman comes back for another year, because then you'll have had Zane Flores sitting for two years behind Allen Bowman, and then you'll have Smith who comes in and presumably would burn a redshirt year in that situation. So, um I like that Oklahoma State is building that depth in the quarterback room. My hope is that they can maintain that depth in the quarterback room uh, and that we don't see too many portal entries because that's where we're at in modern college football. Um, it's kind of the the gift and the curse of the portal. Like I said, I think it's bringing a little bit more parity to the sport because guys are going places they can play, but it also makes it harder to have depth in your room uh, like what we could potentially see with this Oklahoma State quarterback room with two young quarterbacks who probably think they should be the guy. So that's what I'll be looking at moving forward is uh, just whether these guys stick around long enough to become an eventual starter in Stillwater. Maya Lawaki. Maya Lawaki Smith. It's like we have a new uh, Amen Ogbong Bamiga. One of my favorite names there because I nailed Ogbong Bamiga every time. Every time I nailed it. Uh, I'm going to have to get better. Say this one for me one more time. Maya Lawaki. Maya Lawaki. All right. Say it with us, everyone. Maya Lawaki. All right. I'm 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 going to work on it. Yeah. No, and to your point, I think the bowl game preparations will be pretty telling for the guys on the roster. I do think it's encouraging, too, that none of them entered the portal yet. I mean, the spots are drying up left and right. You would think if, if Rangel wanted to enter the portal, he would have done so. Maybe uh, maybe there's a plan to play him in the bowl game some, to give him some film. I, I have no idea, but. I do think that's encouraging that none have entered the portal yet, but I don't know. And, you know, there's this, how do you feel about that room if it does stay? Because, you know, I think the grass isn't always greener all the time. Uh, you know, I, I understand the portals there and there's, there's talented experienced quarterbacks you can get. And I certainly think, oh, you should explore that. But, but part of me also thinks you got to kind of trust in yourself and trust in your coaching staff and who you recruited. I mean, these guys have been on in your program now for a while. I, Part of me thinks, Colby, you're you're kind of pot committed, and I'd like to just hang on to the quarterback room they have and, and let the chips fall where they may. I mean, Floor's a highly recruited guy. I mean, Rangel has already played in the Big 12. So unless, you know, some really talented, experienced quarterback comes along, I don't envision that happening. I, I think you kind of just bring the same quarterback room back and wait and see what happens with Alan Bowman. 
Yeah, I, I think whether uh, whether the Allen Bowman era at Oklahoma State is over next week or whether we have another year of it, beyond Bowman, I would like to see one of the high school recruits play quarterback for Oklahoma State for a couple of years because what I don't think you want to do is get into a situation where you're just always bringing in kind of these uh, mid-level transfer portal quarterbacks to come in and be your starter for the following season because of the unknown of the young guys. Because I really think if you get into a situation, and I understand why they're doing it, Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. Next year is going to be third year out of four that they've brought a transfer portal quarterback in to start for one season. And I understand the reasoning behind it. You're trying to maximize that one year. You're trying to get to the playoff, trying to win a national championship. But I think that that can make it difficult to convince some of the, the higher level high school recruits that you want to get into your program I think it's kind of a tough sell to get those guys in if you continuously just bring in transfers that are juniors and seniors to start over the top of the young guys. You know, you did that this past year coming in. I thought that that was a good move. Flores was a true freshman. I don't think that they totally love the idea of Rangel being the 12-game starter just yet, uh, and and I don't think Gunner was the guy, so they bring in the uh, the transfer. But now you're going to have an older Zane Flores. You're going to have Maya Luwaki. Yeah, nailed it. Okay, you're going to have Milo Milwaukee Smith in the room as well. So um, I don't know about you, but once the Bowman era is over again, whether that's a, a week from now or a year from now, I'd like to see them go with some of the guys they recruited out of high school because I think it's important to to keep that pipeline fresh and make sure that those young guys know, hey, there's not always going to be a 22-year-old coming over the top of you. That was just circumstantial. Yeah, and – Obviously, the offensive line is intact. That was a huge, huge deal to keep all those guys for next year. But one of the biggest gets was the guy they were able to hang on to in uh, Nuku Mafi, who signed with Oklahoma State on Wednesday. But his high school teammate, Samisi Tonga, flipped to Arizona State earlier this month. So there was concern there that he might switch to Arizona State with his teammate. But Mike Gundy says he was loyal to us. His partner went to another school, so he had that game going on, th- going on out there a little bit, which is understandable. He never really acted like he was going any other direction. But they were beating up on him pretty good there in the last couple of weeks, but he stayed with us. So, you know, as much as important it is to flip guys late, uh, hanging on to a guy you've you've had for quite some time and one of your your, your best offensive line prospect, that was, that was critical for Mike Gunny and his staff. Yeah, it was, and these are the stories that you like to read. Anytime you've got other Power 5 schools coming in, especially in conference, right, really beating up on a recruit and trying to get this guy to flip, and he doesn't, man, that, that's good stuff. That says good things about your program, uh, about a young man who who wants to be here and is solid in his decision because th- these young kids, they are making – such an important decision in their lives right now. And many of them are doing it at 16 and 17 years old. And I understand when kids change their mind. I get it. This is a big, big deal deciding where you go out of high school to go play your college football because uh, it could put you on a path to to stardom and to the NFL. Or you could also be in a situation where you end up playing for your fourth school three years from now, and, and you don't want that. So it's a big decision. I understand kids who flip. But when something like this happens, where Arizona State and BYU are knocking down the door trying to get this kid to flip, and he's like, no, I'm, I'm committed to Oklahoma State. That's where I want to be. That tells me that he's a kid that uh, maybe will pay his dues and put the work in and wait his turn and end up 
being a really productive guy because he wanted to be here. He had other options. Uh, he had other options late and Stillwater's where he wanted to be. He was committed. He was loyal. So those are the kind of recruiting stories you like to, to read, especially like we said, uh, with an Oklahoma State program that's ranked about 60th nationally in terms of classes right now, to be able to hang on to a handful of guys that other Power 5 programs were pushing pretty hard for, that feels good. Charlie Dickey strikes back once again. Uh, he was pretty much under fire coming into this year, and uh, it would have been kind of a doomsday scenario if if Charlie Dickey had lost his his most talented recruit at the at the last minute. That would have been that would have been crushing. So good good job by Charlie Dickey, uh, keeping him in the fold. And you know Oklahoma State Colby has a long history of brothers. Uh, we don't need to go through all the lists, but they were able to flip uh, Ladanian Fields from TCU. His brother Rodney is a very talented running back out of Dell City. Dell City was one of the best schools in, in the entire state of Oklahoma this year lost in the state title game to a Carl Albert, who was just a juggernaut had like four guys committed to OU. Uh, but to get his brother flipped at the last minute, uh, another big win for Oklahoma state. Uh, Mike Gundy said the number of flips late has gone down consistently. I'm not sure why that is. TC pushed hard for him, which they should have to keep him. They wanted him. We're closer. We have more connections there. His home base is surrounded by Oklahoma state people. So I think that's been one of the hallmarks, Colby, of, of Mike Gundy's recruiting uh, history is keeping in-state talent in-state. And this was a, a big flip for me to, to, get, to get him in the fold uh, along with his brother. Yeah, and you know what you love as a college coach? Whenever you're recruiting at a high school and the head coach at one of these high schools that had a great program played for Oklahoma State. Oh, that's so good. Robert Jones, the head coach. <laughs> Uh, at Dell City, he played at Oklahoma State, and now Rodney Fields uh, and, like you said, Ladanian Fields both coming to Oklahoma State. And uh, again, we just talked about uh, about Mafi uh, Nuku Mafi staying loyal and not flipping. And then on the other side, Oklahoma State pulls off a flip, and it's again, it's in conference, and that's huge. TCU and Oklahoma State competing for a lot of the same guys uh, have been, I would say, somewhat comparable programs. Uh, certainly for a lot of the time that Gary Patterson was there, and the TCU obviously had the magic, magic, magic year in 2022. Uh, so that's a big one to flip him from TCU to Oklahoma State. And hopefully, like you said, Carson, this is just another example of brothers coming to Oklahoma State uh, and being absolute studs. They've, they've got a pair of brothers right now in the defensive backfield with uh, Cam and Dylan Smith. So hopefully this is another one of those instances where Oklahoma State uh, has two guys out there running around with the same name on the back of their jersey and just making plays. Yeah, and Brian Nardo has not recruited at this level yet. This is his first go-round, and he already picked up a huge win in keeping Landon Cleveland, a six-foot, 183-pound defensive back, uh, committed to OSU in April. But he had a he reportedly had an offer from Alabama, but he really never wavered. And I think this is also a hallmark of of Mike Gundy's recruiting. The the book's kind of out on him as, in terms of finding really good players that aren't that highly recruited. He said, uh, Mike Gundy, quote, Landon is a guy that we had committed for a long time, and he didn't get as much play early because some of the top 10 schools won't see his size as what they're looking for. Well, once we had, once he committed to us, then everybody starts evaluating who we have committed. Then we saw some games that he played through the first three or four games of the year, and they realized, in their opinion, we should have been recruiting this guy. Uh, so that's, that's a case where they get in early on a, a really talented player that other schools are overlooking and a uh, huge win by, by Brian Nardo in his first go round. Yeah. Huge win. I mean, had an offer from Oklahoma, Alabama, this is big time. And and again, his size six foot one eighty three. probably why those schools weren't in on him initially, but that is, 
that's good enough size for a defensive back. And I don't think that he'll be playing at 183 when he finally steps on the field for Oklahoma State. I would imagine in 18 months, it's kind of what Mike Gundy was saying about most of these guys. Uh, fall 2025, you hope that these guys are ready to be impact players. And then maybe you have a Dylan Smith sneak out there, a true freshman who goes out and makes some plays uh, and gets everybody excited. But yeah, this is a big win for Nardo. These are guys that Oklahoma State uh, has lost a lot over the years when they get in on a guy early and then, you know, Alabama, Oklahoma, some of these other schools look around and they're like, hmm, yeah, we should have been in on that guy. I think we'll have him. Uh, and they come and make the offer and that guy flips because you want to go play for one of those top 10 programs. And he was committed. He was loyal. And yeah, that's somebody that I think Oklahoma State fans will be excited to watch here in a couple of years. And does recruiting another Colin Oliver interest you? I would take a few more Colin Olivers if you've got them. Uh, Tameric Johnson already receiving uh, kind of comparisons to Colin Oliver. Mike Gundy said, yeah, very similar to Oliver. Uh, depending on how he grows, he could stand up outside. He might move inside depending on what we like. But uh, we've had success taking 200, 205, 210-pound guys that will that will hit you and can run. Those guys have benefited well, like Nick Martin, Malcolm Rodriguez, Xavier Benson. So kind of in that mold, Colby, another you know hard-hitting, fast linebacker, bigger too, 6'3", uh, 209. Coming out of high school, so another uh, kind of the gem of one of the gems of the uh, defensive class here. Yeah, a little bit taller than some of those other guys. I've got Nicholas Martin listed at six foot, Malcolm at five eleven, Xavier Benson at six foot two. So a little bit taller guy, but kind of uh, that size in that two hundred nine, two ten range where. You know, is, is he a stand-up guy on the edge? Is he a linebacker? Um, do you keep him trimmed down and play him at safety? I think that there's some options with what they can do with him depending on how his body develops where maybe he does fill into that Nick Martin role. Maybe he's a pass rusher. Maybe he ends up being your strong safety. Um, I think you've kind of got some options, and you love that height because that gives him the ability to do different things at multiple levels of the defense depending on how his body develops. So, um yeah, I don't, I don't think that it's an accident that Mike Gundy threw those names out. Like, those are names that he knows are going to excite people a little bit, which tells me that Mike Gundy is excited about this guy a little bit. So, yeah, there's a handful of names here that I'm really excited to see what they could look like in the future at Oklahoma State. Uh, every year we read these stories, and every year we kind of uh, see these names, and then we don't really think about them for quite a long time. And then they show up on the field, and it's like, I remember that guy. I remember him from his, his recruiting profile, and to see what they turn into on the field is a lot of fun. So this is one of those guys uh, that I will certainly be making a mental bookmark of his name to Merrick Johnson to see if he develops into a Colin Oliver, uh, Nick Martin, Malcolm Rodriguez type player. Yep, those are some of the names to keep an eye on as we move forward uh, in their careers. Uh, did you see Jaden Bray uh, committed to go to West Virginia? I did. I found that to be very odd. What did you think of that? Yeah, like, of course, I don't know the ins and outs in terms of NIL. Um, Jaden Bray doesn't strike me as someone that could command a high dollar amount in NIL, but who knows how desperate West Virginia is for receiving talent. I, I don't know that aspect of it. I just, with the portal era, like, you look at what Rashad Owens was able to do this year by sticking it out. Like, you look at the two programs between West Virginia and Oklahoma State. Where are you more more likely to succeed? Considering Jaden Brace played very early on, he played in the Fiesta Bowl two years ago. Uh, there's something to be said for being in a program that you like and that uh, you're successful at, and that is just an overall better program. I just this is a classic case to me of seeking 
grass that's greener that I don't anticipate it being. I I find it very confusing, and I think it's a really poor move for Jaden Bray. I mean, hopefully, he proves me wrong. Hopefully, he goes on to do great things at, at West Virginia. Uh, local kid from Norman, but I don't know. I I think it's a very very poor decision. Uh, yeah. I mean, just looking at it today. When he announced that he was leaving Oklahoma State, I'm like, okay, let's let's see where he goes. Um, I assumed just that he was going to go to a program that we've seen put up pretty good numbers on offense and and have kind of some name receivers that you think of. And when I saw that he was going to West Virginia, I mean, this is a West Virginia program that has been reeling. This is a West Virginia, and, and I don't know if anybody cares about this. Uh, this is something that I care about and I think is really interesting. It's a university that's reeling. They had a, a $45 million budget shortfall. They cut dozens of degree programs. They laid off 143 faculty members recently. Um, they had protests from students and professors outside the university. Like the football program is in shambles. The university seems like it's in shambles. Um, I was very surprised with some of the things I've been reading just about West Virginia University lately and how poorly everything is going out there. The Jaden Bray was like, yeah, I think I would like to leave this uh, thriving Oklahoma State program and go to West Virginia, a team that struggles to win six games, that doesn't put up a ton of yards, doesn't put up a ton of points. Um, you know, you've lived in Oklahoma your whole life, and now you're going to Morgantown, West Virginia. I, I really do. I, I, don't, I don't wish any ill will against any player that leaves, and I hope he has a ton of success out there. I really do. Um, I just don't know that I see it. Because we haven't seen, I mean, who's the last guy at that position we saw have success out there? David Sills? I mean, what was David Sills, five years ago, probably? So, yeah, I, I was pretty surprised by that announcement. Well, their leading uh, reception getter on the team for West Virginia is their tight end. <laughs> With 33, a whopping 33 catches. Next well, best is the receiver, Devin Carter, who had 27 catches for 500 yards. So, maybe he looks at that as an opportunity to be the unquestioned number one guy. I think that might, that might appeal to him. But that just kind of shows you what their offense is like. They are a very, very, very run-heavy team. And, I mean, <laughs> there were five – they they rushed the ball 535 times, and there was only 166 receptions as a team. So I, I think it's a very poor move. I don't want to criticize a kid for doing what's best for him. I'm not trying to say that. Just from an overall football perspective, uh, I think it's a very, very poor move. But we'll, time will tell on that. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe he wanted to be the, the big fish in the small pond. One thing that he's never really had at Oklahoma State that maybe he thinks he'll have there is just like near 100% route participation, right? He was more of a rotate-in guy at Oklahoma State for most of his career. Um, but I don't know. I just I felt like if he stuck it out, he could have become that guy at Oklahoma State. So we'll see. Uh, I hope it goes well for him at West Virginia. Again, I, I root for all guys who come to Oklahoma State even when they move on. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes out there. Cause that's a, a football program and a university that I don't think is, is really healthy right now. You, you look at Oklahoma state, it seems like every year they're announcing a, a record freshman class and West Virginia is making all these cuts. And a, a lot of it has to do to declining enrollment. Like it's just, it's not a healthy university. It's not a healthy football program right now. Um, so I hope that it all goes well for him out there and he doesn't look back and wish that he'd stayed in Stillwater. You ready to take a turn to sad town? Uh, sure. Let's do it. Spencer Sanders ruled academically ineligible at Ole Miss, kind of bringing the close to what was a strange, kind of sad journey to, to Oxford, Mississippi. So he's ineligible for the bowl game, and his career is coming to an end. Now, I, I say it's sad. I mean, he did make 
presumably some decent amount of money at his time at Oklahoma State and also at Ole Miss, but just kind of a sad ending to a, a guy who's, you know, one of the better OSU football players in recent memory. Sad is the word that came to mind for me whenever I saw that headline. Um, when it was announced that he was leaving and that he was going down to Ole Miss, I, I kind of figured, as did you, I think, that he was going to go down there and he was going to be the starter. And I was excited to see what he looked like out there. He was a guy that I had a ton of fun watching at Oklahoma State. He was unpredictable, and every so often he would have the Baylor game or the Texas Tech game pop up where it was like, oh, my God, my head's going to explode. But then he'd have six weeks where it's like, wow, he is just driving this thing. Um, you know, the Bedlam game in 2021, um, the, the Fiesta Bowl against Notre Dame. Like, he had some serious moments at Oklahoma State, and and I understand the love for Spencer won't ever be what it was at its peak. Um, you know, he, he made a decision. And things just went so poorly at the end of the season last year, and things went so poorly down at Ole Miss. I, I just – sad is the right word. I, I wanted him to thrive at the end of his career. I wanted him to fully realize all that potential. I just – I thought he was a fun player to watch, and I think sad is the right word because uh, really from the time that that Texas game ended last year, you know, the culture program, one, one program has culture and one doesn't. From the moment that that game ended through the rest of Spencer Sanders' career, it, it was it was little more than a disaster. So, um, yeah, just just feel bad for him that it all played out that way. But he made choices, and he lives with the consequences. Um, yeah, it's just it's tough to see a guy with so much talent and who did so many great things on the field have the last year and a half of his college football career uh, essentially amount to to not a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, to go from first team All Big Twelve quarterback to where he's at now is is very disappointing for him in his career. And then there's a lot of Spencer Sanders slander out there on social media because that's all social media is good for seemingly sometimes. But just take take this from a guy who was in the locker room with him. Uh, Christian Holmes tweeted this, former uh, player at Oklahoma State. He said, Spencer Sanders' slander on his time at Oklahoma State always has me so confused. Last one to leave the building, locker room guy, practices ass off, energetic in games and practice, always played through injuries, Everyone in our locker room was riding with three, still confused. So that's from a guy that played alongside him, was in the locker room with him. And sure, I'm, I'm sure there was some drama at his, as his time at Oklahoma State came to a close. There's a lot of stuff that went behind closed doors that we're not going to know about. But as far as the day-to-day and his time at Oklahoma State, uh, I, take, uh, I take what Christian Holmes said seriously as far as what kind of teammate and player that, that Spencer Sanders was. Yeah, I think we all have to be careful about forming an opinion uh, about one thing that we've seen on social media, one tweet, uh, one guy on a message board throwing something out, and then we craft our opinion of a player based on that. And there's a lot more to it than that. And I just, you know, if you don't love everything that was the Spencer Sanders era, I get that. Again, there were some great moments in the Spencer Sanders era. And that was a team last year when he came in in that Iowa State game, Oklahoma State couldn't get a yard. And he just comes in, plays half a quarter, leads a touchdown drive. You win the game, you move on. And he was that guy for Oklahoma State for a few years where, yeah, again, like Texas Tech and Baylor, he could lose you a game. But there were times where he just flat out won you games. And uh, he was a great player. He's one of the most winning quarterbacks in Oklahoma State history, I hope that if he wants to come back to Stillwater, that he would be welcomed uh, with open arms, especially because his departure 
it didn't it didn't torch the program. Uh, he hasn't said negative things about Oklahoma State on the way out. Oklahoma State is still in a, a healthy spot. And, yeah, he, he did no harm to the university. The end of last season went poorly. A lot of that injuries, I, I don't know, team chemistry, whatever you want to call it. But um, I think I will remember the majority of Spencer Sanders' time at Oklahoma State fondly. And, uh, yeah, there were some negatives mixed in there as well. But all in all, yeah, everybody said he was a hard worker. He always played hurt because of the way he played, running, taking hits. He was always dinged up, always played hurt. I will remember Spencer Sanders fondly, and I hope over time more of the fan base will start to do the same. Yep, I agree. You ready for the uh, toast of the week? Uh, absolutely. You want to go first? You want me to? Well, let's uh, let's promote the traditional lager. It's the uh, the one that's tried and true, probably their most popular uh, beer. It's uh, roasted with caramel malt for a subtle sweetness and a combination and cluster of a combination of cluster and cascade hops. This true original delivers a well-balanced taste with very distinct character, born on a historic recipe that was resurrected in 1987. Yingling traditional lager is a true American classic. So who are you toasting a traditional lager to? I am toasting a traditional lager to one Mr. Craig Humphreys. The hump man, Carson. Uh, today's his last day on the air. 30-year career. Hump man is hanging it up. And he is retiring. How much time have you spent around Craig in your career? A decent amount. Um, obviously, I I filled in on his show several times on the Sports Animal. I've gotten to know him somewhat through that. And also, when I would cover Oklahoma City Thunder games, you know, he was doing pregame for Sports Animal in the in the dining hall. And I'd any chance I got to sit next to Craig, I would take. And he was just such a like everyone says this. He's just a super super nice guy. Uh, there's a lot of stories out there. I think Mike Steely had a really great thread on Twitter. If you want to check that out. Uh, about just the kind of guy Craig is. Uh, great dude. Uh, really grew up listening to him. I mean, he's been on the radio, as, as you mentioned, I think 31-year anniversary is when he's calling it quits. So uh, wish him nothing but the best. And uh, we're we're all kind of indebted to him for starting the sports animal. I mean, whether you love it or you hate it, it's one of the highest-rated sports uh, stations in the country and has been for a very long time. And that was Craig's vision. He started it. And uh, it's something I've I grew up listening to. I remember I was a student at Oklahoma State, and back then you could only get the Sports Animal on like 6:40 a.m. And depending on what side of Stillwater you were on, it would be crackling and grainy. You could barely hear it, but I, that's how much I listened. So, uh, congratulations to Craig on his retirement. Yeah, I've actually got Stillman's Twitter thread pulled up. the The first time that I met Craig was in the Thunder dining hall. I was I was a young kid. I was fresh out of college probably 22 years old. Uh, this was before I, I hosted Thunder pregames. This was well before then, well before I had a season-long credential. And I just got a single-game media credential, right? I wanted to go to the game. It was not a big game. So uh, I, my boss, Randy Hides, he was able to get me a credential to the game. I was excited, right? Going to my first Thunder game as a credentialed member of the media. So I get down to the dining hall, uh, and all the people that I knew from the franchise, their table was completely full. There were no seats. I would have sat with them. There were no seats. So I look over. And Craig Humphreys is sitting at a table by himself. I'm a young kid. I've grown up listening to Craig. I know who Craig is. I've never met Craig. So I sit down. Craig and I start talking. Craig probably talked to me for 20, 30 minutes, just like we were old friends. It was just he and I sitting at the table. I don't even know if he remembers this because I'm sure he has so many of these interactions. Uh, but we just sat there and, and, and just talked for 20 or 30 minutes. And I came away from that thinking, wow, that was uh, – what a conversation with a guy I'd never met, uh, a guy of his stature in Oklahoma sports media, and I'm just 
this kid here on a one game credential, happy to, to be a part of the media. And, and that interaction um, was great. And then I didn't see or talk to Craig for years. So then my buddy Taylor Williams and I, we start up the 73rd hole golf podcast and Taylor grew up playing golf with Sam Humphreys. Their dads were friends. Um, so we reached out to Craig. Craig came on with us, and he did some shows. He did some master's previews. And this is when I really started to get to know Craig and and just how special of a person that he is. Uh, I mean, he would give us two, three hours of his time to do these podcasts. And this was when we were building it. Uh, you know, we didn't have hundreds or thousands of people listening. We had tens of listeners as we're building this thing and he would come on and give us his time uh one day he he drove over here to my house we did the pot at my house we go out to his car and he pops the trunk there's a master's hats in the trunk of his car and he's like pick two just take any two you want <laughs> and we we pick a couple of hats out of there uh he ends up uh hooking us up with his son sam humphreys as he's getting out of college he joins the pod starts doing it with us he sent us to Florida to the PGA Merchandise Show a couple of years ago as a show. He sent us down there, paid for our flights, put us up for the week, um, did all these things. And, and one of my most prized pieces of sports memorabilia, I'm looking at it right now, it's hanging on my wall. It is the Augusta Chronicle, the local newspaper from the morning after Tiger Woods won the 2019 Masters. These are, there aren't a, there aren't a ton of these. They, they printed these one day. And Craig was there and he grabbed a handful of them and he gave Taylor and I each one of these newspapers and I framed it and I put it on the wall. Um, Craig is just, he is an unbelievable person. He's been very fortunate in his life and he seemingly takes every opportunity to pass that good fortune down to others. So much love is pouring in for Craig today. It's all deserved. I'm sure it makes him feel uncomfortable because he doesn't like to publicize all of his good deeds, um, the great things that he does, the way that he treats people. It, it's not something that he publicizes. He's just Craig, and, and he does his thing. Uh, Steel Man, his thread, uh, he has a great thread about him Him and John Rohde back in the day needed somewhere to stay in Augusta. Craig invited him to stay in their house. Craig made them take the bedroom. He slept on the couch. They were at a competing station, didn't even work for his station. They were doing their show from the house. Um, Steely said that, that Craig helped him out with money in the nineties, called him, told him he was writing a check, asked him how much he needed. Even as Steely protested, absolutely not. Don't worry about paying it back. Please take this. Andrew Gilman's telling stories, invited him to play Oak tree one time for no reason. Afterward, he gave him two masters hats, one for him, one to have for a friend. He just, the love is pouring in for Craig today and it should you, you just almost can't even put into words how many people's lives he's touched over the years, uh, how special he is. And, and as I grew closer to he and his family over these last few years, uh, you know, Sam and I are now friends. I, I was just talking to him and Taylor yesterday. I think we're going to do a golf podcast soon, probably for a couple of hours about everything going on. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. He just, he, he had an impact on me, as someone very young in this business that he took a half hour out of his night to just sit there and talk with me that night in the Thunder dining area uh, that probably was just another casual conversation to him, but was a big deal to me. And then all of the support with the golf podcast. Um, I texted him the day I found out he was retiring a few weeks ago, just to let him know that um, great career. Yes. And, and immense amount of respect for the career that he put together, but even more respect for him as a man, um, Craig's a special guy and, and he deserves all the love that he's getting today. And I hope that 
all the all the great things in the world come to he and his family. Yeah, that's very well said. Craig's Craig's a legend. So yeah, happy retirement to uh, Craig Humphreys. My uh, my toast of the week is going to go to Jamie Blatnick, uh, named director of strength and conditioning at Middle Tennessee. He's following Derek Mason from Oklahoma State to Middle Tennessee. I know Mason had a one year hiatus, but um, you know he's learned under Rob Glass, really building his career as a strength and conditioning coach. I I fully expect Jamie probably to make his way back to Stillwater perhaps whenever uh, Rob Glass were to leave Oklahoma State or retire. Uh, I think that would be a natural transition. And uh, congrats to Jamie because I I don't think he pro- probably gets enough credit for that 2011 football team. When we think of that 2011 team that won the Big 12, we of course think of you know the headliners, Whedon, Blackman, Joseph Randall, uh, Josh Cooper on the offensive side. We think of Rashetti Jones. But Jamie Blatnick was – he had an argument as the most important defensive player on that team, along with Markel Martin. He had eight sacks in 2011. He had five and a half in 2010. He had uh, 13 and a half tackles for loss in 2011. And we all remember he had the he's, – he's the one that uh, – he picked up a fumble there and was tackled on like the one-yard line uh, after stripping Landry Jones. So he – Great football player. I got to know him. I covered that 2011 team like almost nearly every availability, almost every single game. I got to know him really well, and he was one of my favorite people to talk to because he was so good on the mic and just kind of a gregarious, outgoing character. And that was one of my favorite things about that 2011 team. They had such personality, and Jamie Blatnick was chief among them. So it's great to see him kind of establishing his career elsewhere. I think that's important for people to do, get fresh ideas, go start your own thing, and that that makes you much more of a candidate should the job at, at your alma mater come available. So congrats to Jamie Blatnick, and uh, he's rocking an awesome mustache. I bet he could down a few uh, yingling loggers down down the hatch of that mustache. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. He, he's definitely an underrated player from that 2011 team. He was just um... – Man, he was just a big, big dude. 6'3", 253 is what he was listed at and just chiseled out of stone. Uh, I mean, looks like and one of the – fast. When he picked up that fumble, man, I thought he was going to take it to the house. He's fast. Yeah, incredible athlete. Strength and conditioning seems like exactly where he should be. He just he, – he looked like one of these guys like that you would see uh, on Game of Thrones, the first seven seasons. Don't watch the eight. <laughs> um, he looks like one of those guys. And, yeah, strength and condi- conditioning, I think, is right up his alley. All right, well, we got Twitter questions. Any thoughts on OSU's win uh, against, uh, was it Wofford? I'm not, I'm not in basketball mode yet. Wofford, the Terriers, yes. Yesterday was the day that I flipped my, uh, my brain from football mode to basketball mode. I, I don't often do both at the same time. I usually flip in December. Yesterday was that day for me. I was able to turn on and watch the entire second half. It actually gave me a, a little bit of optimism. For Oklahoma State, there have been five games already in the first 11 where this team has hit double-digit threes. Last year, the entire season, this team hit double-digit three-pointers just six times. So uh, the defensive intensity yesterday I thought was lacking quite a bit. Uh, game before Christmas, everybody's ready to get out of there, go be with their families. I uh, listened to the Mike Boynton Coaches Show uh, on Monday, I think it was Monday night, with Dave Hunziker, uh, and he said a lot of guys were flying out Wednesday night. That's why they've got the 2 o'clock tip, and guys want to get to the airport and stuff, and then they've got to be back on the 26th. So I thought the defensive intensity was lacking somewhat and made that final score closer than it should have been after Oklahoma State jumped out. I think it was 24-11 to 11 in that game. ORU took a brief – not ORU. Uh, Wofford took a brief lead in the second half. 
But Oklahoma State's got some guys that can shoot the ball a little bit. Bryce Thompson is shooting it well. Javon Small, Javon Small is a really good player. Eric Daly looks good. Brandon Garrison uh, did a nice job yesterday late in that game, getting underneath the basket whenever the defense fell asleep. Small finds him for a dunk that helps extend the lead late to win that game. So Oklahoma State was 0-4 in games decided by six or fewer points going into yesterday. Uh, and with a pesky Wofford team that seemingly did not want to go away, Oklahoma State was able to close them out down the stretch. So um, don't really know what to make of this team. Don't know that in this conference they're going to be able to go on some magic run and make the tournament. But if you're looking for reasons for optimism, the three that I would give you would be Javon Small, Eric Daly, and Brandon Garrison because those are young guys who are seemingly learning how to play together a little bit. The offense uh, much better now as they were three and five. Now they're six and five going into the break. And what I like about the way the schedule sets up is that they've got two non-conference games after the break before they dive into conference play. Uh, Last year it was Christmas and then Lawrence. That's not a very good Christmas present. So I think this year will be a lot better to ease back in after the break. And hopefully this team will exceed what I think are some pretty low expectations right now from the fan base. Yeah, and I I just think it's put up or shut up time for Bryce Thompson. I think this team's going to go as he goes because they need his outside shooting. He, he mentioned it, five for seven from three, 19 points. They were plus 13 when he was on the floor. OSU needs Bryce Thompson to contend for first-team All-Big 12. I know this league's loaded, and that's that's a tough – I'm just saying being in that conversation. If he's in that conversation, Oklahoma State's going to win a lot more games than people expect them to. I think it's – it's uh, it's time for him to become the player he was coming out of high school, and it, it, that's a great start against Wofford. So I think that's something to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, and on that front, Mike Boynton talked Monday about him having to learn how to play almost exclusively off the ball after spending so much of his life uh, going back to when he was a kid being an on-the-ball player because Javon Small is just, you, you want that guy bringing the ball up the floor. He's a playmaker. He can shoot. You want the ball in Javon Small's hands. So Bryce Thompson's having to learn how to be that true off-ball guard and he, he seems to be getting a little more comfortable in that situation. So hopefully that just continues to progress because uh, like you said, if he can be a, a seriously contending for a first team, all big 12 type of player then Oklahoma state can surprise some people. I do think Oklahoma state will pull off a massive upset or two in this conference this year for a couple of reasons. Number one, there are a lot of really good teams in this conference, so you're going to have a lot of opportunities against top 10, top 15 opponents uh, to go out and get really high-quality wins. And the other is just that this team can shoot a little bit, and there's just going to be a night where Oklahoma State runs hot and and so they beat a top-10 team in the country and the other fan base is mad because Oklahoma State went, you, you know, whatever, 16 to 34 from three or something like that. There's going to be one or two of those games this year where they're going to sneak up on somebody, um, and, and I have no doubt about that because – Unlike, I just think last year's team just really didn't have anybody who could shoot. And this year's team does. And I think that that's going to help Oklahoma State uh, win a couple of games throughout the conference season that maybe they're not supposed to. The defense, I think, with a very young team still needs to get much better. That's been Boynton's identity in his time. It's kept them in a lot of games. They need to be better at that end. So on nights that they don't shoot the ball well, they can hopefully still uh, sneak out some wins against maybe the, the bottom half of the Big 12. Yep, we shall see. We answered a lot of our Twitter questions through the course of the pod, but um, Pistol Rick asks, dream Big 12 editions with the ACC dying this week. You know, Florida State's already trying to get out of the ACC this week. They're they're apparently going, going all in on trying to get out. Uh, for me, it's Florida State and Clemson. I know people like to throw Miami in there. Miami's a you mentioned the problems that West Virginia has. I mean, Miami doesn't have a stadium. They don't really have a fan base when they're not any good. 
uh, private school. Most of their alums live elsewhere in the country. Uh, it's it's an easy pick, Clemson and Florida State. Now, I don't I don't think the Big Twelve is going to get either of them, but that's who I would pick. Yeah, I don't think the Big Twelve uh, gets either of those schools either. But they would be at the top of my list. I I don't hate Miami because you get that market. It's a massive market. Um, they don't have a lot of fans when they're bad, but when they're good. People show up for the U, and I don't know what that looks like as NIL involved because I don't know how many of their um, wealthy alums are willing to to donate and give all their money for that program to really make its way back. They've been really good. They've got a good basketball team. They've had a great women's program as well. That's just, you know, watch March Madness last year, and then I think they're off to a great start this year as well. So, um, yeah, Florida State and Clemson would be the dream. I don't think that you get those schools next in line. I don't know, maybe – Maybe you could get like a North Carolina, I think, would be a good addition. Um, trying to think just off the top of my head. UNC would probably be the one that I would look at first. And maybe you just do what you did with Arizona and Arizona State. And you just go add uh, North Carolina and North Carolina State. I, I think that that would be kind of a fun addition to the Big 12. That would be. Um, North Carolina is highly sought after from like Big 10 for their academics, things of that nature. So, We'll have to wait and see if there's more shakeup and uh, realignment. How about this from Cody Kramer? Top three Christmas movies. Ooh, top of my head. Uh, I, Elf? I've got I've got mine. If you want time to think, uh, give me a little. I know Elf's on mine, but give me a little time to think about my others. Okay, number one for me, Home Alone. Uh, I have changed a little bit. I think Home Alone Two might be the superior film. Uh, the hijinks go on bigger, better, longer. Uh, it's kind of under under the radar on Home Alone. Like the real hijinks don't happen until really the last you know thirty minutes of the movie. It takes a while to get to the the final showdown with with Marv and Harry. But I still have number one Home Alone. Uh, I think the scene in the church with Macaulay Culkin is some of the finest acting you'll ever see from a, a child actor with the old man Marley in the church. That's one of my favorite scenes of any movie. Uh, it's just it's awesome uh, the message and everything. Number two, I got to go with Christmas Vacation. Uh, I've never seen a movie make my dad laugh harder every single time we watch it than Christmas Vacation. It's just the best. And my dad, when he was younger, looked a lot like Chevy Chase. I mean, they looked very similar at that age. So it's kind of personal for me, too, in that aspect. But it's it just I love hearing my dad cackle at all the shenanigans that go on on Christmas Vacation. And number three, controversial, I got Die Hard. It is a Christmas movie. Uh, I watched it this week. Uh, they play Ode to Joy throughout the entire movie, if you notice. Christmas themes throughout uh, uses Christmas tape with the gun on the, in the last, last scene. It's a Christmas movie. Uh, so I, I'm going with Die Hard 3. Okay, that's a good one. I'll, I'll go with Elf at number one. At number two, this is a, a, an older one from, I think, the 2000s. I actually haven't seen it in a long time. I should watch it again. Four Christmases. Hilarious, great Christmas movie. Uh, Vince Vaughn, Reese Witherspoon, good one. And then I tried to I tried to watch that last night. It's I don't I don't think it's very good. I probably haven't seen it in ten years. Does it, does it not? Does it not? It's, it's it's you know Vince Vaughn's still he's he's trying to cook like he was in you know Wedding Crash. He was on a bit of a roll, and he it's a little too much of him just trying to riff, and it doesn't quite come off. You got Tim McGraw in there being ridiculous, uh, Robert Duvall being silly. It, it it was a little 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 corny for me. All right, it's been about ten years. Uh, I remember it being great though. I need to go back and watch it. I liked that. Vince Vaughn era. Uh, Dodgeball is one of my all-time favorite movies. I think it's just a, a classic. Um, so that'd be my one and two. And then number three, I'm going to go a little raunchy at number three. Give me Billy Bob. Give me Billy Bob Thornton, Bernie Mac. 
Bad Santa at number three. Great film. That's a great one. I, I love that movie. Yeah, great movie. Uh, earmuff it for the for the little ones. You do. I actually gave it a Google. It's only an hour and a half long. I wouldn't have guessed that, but yeah, great movie. That's what movies should be. Every movie now is like two and a half hours long. It's ridiculous. Who has the time? This uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm sorry, man. Re- release this thing as a limited series on Netflix with five episodes and maybe I'll watch it. I'm not going to sit down for four hours to watch your movie. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, your thoughts on OU fans leaving one-star reviews on green real estate after Caden Green entered the uh, portal? Uh, typical, classless, trashy, small businesses rely heavily on those reviews. If ever you've thought about doing that, don't do that. You should only leave a negative review on a small business if it is something that is seriously like um, like you're, you're trying to warn people to not use this business because th- those really are the lifeblood of small businesses. That's just it's it's a joke. It's a disaster. It should never happen. Yeah, I mean, fan is short for fanatic, but this takes it way too far. And I and I'm not going to sit here and, you know, judge OU as a whole. I mean, every fan base has idiots that would do stuff like this. I mean, every every fan base does. No one's it's a it's a very much a glass house type situation. But uh, that just shows you kind of where college football is now with the portal and people getting emotional. But that was a just a bizarre story that uh, doesn't make OU look very good. But again, uh, fans are going to be fans and they're going to be idiots. So that's uh, pretty much a shame. Let's see here. I think that does it for most of our uh, our Twitter questions. I mean, com- a lot of comparisons with Jaden Allen Hendricks as the next Ollie. Uh, long way to go till we see that. But hey, I, I really liked Ollie coming out of high school. I, I thought he should have been the starter last year. Uh, so we'll we'll keep tabs on him. So I think that about does it for our, our Twitter cues, Colby. Uh, have a Merry Christmas. Uh, enjoy the fam. And uh, happy holidays. Yep. Everyone have a very Merry Christmas, very happy holiday if you celebrate uh, something else. And we'll be back next week. Oklahoma State's bowl game is on Wednesday. So our plan right now, assuming it is not upended by any uh, work co- conflicts or family conflicts, is to do a Tuesday, Thursday, a pre- pre-show and a post-show for the Oklahoma State bowl game as we get to see this team one last time. So uh, I don't know. Have you watched any bowl games yet? You looking forward to next week and getting into – what I consider kind of the real bowl season once we get these pre-Christmas ones out of the way? It's really hard for me to get into the bowls until we get to like the, you know, the the New Year's Six bowls is about when I get ramped up. I just, especially nowadays with so many players opting out, I'm disappointed in all the Florida State folks opting out. I get it. They're trying to preserve their their own interests. But man, if they, if they beat Georgia, they could literally claim a national title. Now they're not going to have like their two best receivers. Uh, their their number one uh, defensive lineman Jared Verse entered the entered the draft, so that that takes a lot of shine off a lot of matchups. Yeah, no doubt. I I do have a um a theory or just a mindset that I want to talk about on our our pre show on Tuesday about how we view bowl games, um, and about looking at them as preseason games as opposed to postseason games. So don't, mm, let, don't let me forget that on Tuesday. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great weekend. Be safe. Enjoy your families. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. As always, go Pokes.